All right. We wanted to be sure everybody understood what our plan is for this next transition. Like Robin said, hopefully if everything goes well in July, early July would be awesome, but we're thinking probably mid-July we'll be able to occupy the other building. Um, and I wanted to thank everybody that helped this week. I know several of you came and helped us box up everything. We had everything ready to go, and yesterday there were others that came and helped. We loaded up the trucks, got everything moved over there by lunchtime, which was awesome. So thank you so much for those of you that helped. Um, now, we did leave the things we need for kids' ministry because we have that building till the end of May. So we will have kids' ministry this Sunday, of course, and next Sunday, all three classes. So um, you can count on that. After that, we're probably going to be four to six weeks in here with all the kids with us. So our plan is to keep the meetings short, to um, keep them to an hour, so we'll have awesome worship like we did today, and then Robin's going to have a short but potent message. All right? So um, I know it's, that doesn't... That makes it hard on parents with really young ones, I know. But let's just be patient um, with everybody. And then if parents have to leave early, we certainly understand. Um, So that's the downside. The upside is it's also going to give all our kids' ministry workers a good break. So there are benefits to it, too. So um, we just wanted you to know what to expect. And we're excited, looking forward to what the Lord has for us. Is that everything? Mm-hmm. Your phone's behind Wonderful. I've been teaching on the 23rd Psalm. And um, I have three ideas I want to talk about a little bit. I'm going to talk about them up front. I'm just going to sort of proclaim them. Because... Um, well, there's just so much to the 23rd Psalm. It's sort of the, sort of the Christian go-to Psalm. Most people that have been in the church for any length of time are familiar with the Lord is my shepherd and that whole six-verse Psalm. Um, but one of the things I want you to realize is this. Let me give you several uh, principles. Proclamation, our ability to proclaim God's nature in the face of contradictory circumstances, is one of the weapons he's given us. Let me say say that again. Our ability to proclaim God's nature in the face of contradictory circumstances is one of the weapons the Lord has given us. In other words, when your life's not good, you sing Sarah's song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really is an aspect of the spiritual life is you have opportunity. What real faith is when you believe God when there doesn't seem like you really should? But you don't have, you don't function in real faith until you're in a contradictory circumstance. And without faith, it's impossible to to believe God. And people fail when they um, yield to bitterness or fear or things of that nature in the midst of contradictory circumstances. And everyone's going to have those that you need to, you just need to know that. Um, 
The second point I want to make, and we'll see more of, of why this is important, is um, writers of the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms, they would declare or sing a promise or a premise, and then they would follow it with the practical application. And those two would be connected in, in sort of Hebrew thought. So I want you to remember that. And part number three, I want you to remember, or point number three, is that joy is our strength. It says in the book of Nehemiah, what is it? Eat the fat, drink the sweet, provide portions for whom nothing's been provided. And then it goes on and says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so um, I've already spoken on this twice. It's on our, it's on our website. And um, each, each message is sort of a standalone message, but um, I do like to make this point about the context. King David's son Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. He proclaimed himself king in David's place. He set up residence in Hebron, which was the former capital of the nation before Jerusalem was. Even David's chief counselor joined the opposition. So David fled for his life and faced the distinct possibility that Absalom's army would kill him. Absalom was his, probably the, uh, well, he was his third son and may have been the only one of his sons that was still alive, except for, I think, Solomon. So how did David respond in the face of almost assured devastation? And it's the 23rd Psalm. So put that up there. Let's read this. Because you have to understand the context. If you don't realize that none of this seemed to be true in David's experience, you don't get the importance of what was actually going on. You with me? You tracking? So why don't we read that together? Once you stand up, we'll just do this. And Lord, I pray that this would touch us in context, that we'd understand we can actually proclaim these things when they don't seem true because you are true, you are good, and when we believe in you, we see great things happen that seem to be impossible. So, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Rod and your staff, they comfort me. Stop right there. So in the psalm, here David starts this from the perspective or from, uh, yeah, from the perspective of a shepherd. And then in verse 5, the picture changes. It changes to um, an extremely powerful and generous host. So it's no longer the shepherd, but it's someone who has the capacity to provide in the natural every single thing a person might need. And what we're going to see is verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 are actually... Um, accessed through something that happens in verse 5. So let's read verse 5 and 6. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And one amazing thing, surely goodness and mercy, actually the languages shall pursue me. Who was David being pursued by in this episode? Absalom. But what was his proclamation? Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Pursue me. That's amazing. That's amazing. See, this was tailor-made for the contradictions David faced in his life. And remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You need to be honest about where you are. You can sit down. You don't need to be in denial about your circumstance. But there's a place where talking about what a mess you're in is no longer helpful. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay, when you look at the 23rd Psalm, what what does it promise? Well, it promises God's protection and God's comfort. It promises freedom from lack. The Lord is my shepherd. Actually, it says, I shall be wanting of nothing. It proclaims the reclamation and restoration of the soul. That's the mind, the emotion, and the will. So when David was talking about, you restore my soul, what he meant was, the toll this stress has taken on me, God will restore. And actually it says in one place, he restores my soul. You could say it this way, God fetches back my vitality. How many of you feel like you've lost something over the weeks and months and days and years of vitality? How many, come on, wave at me. I know you're out there. Let's say this together. He fetches back my vitality. And the soul is the mind. He touches your mind. The emotions. <laughs> he can certainly do something about your emotions. And your will, which is your desire. Your intention, your capacity to actually do things. That's what he restores. Can you restore it to yourself? No. No, you lost it. He's got to go get it back. It's what David would proclaim. It's tremendous. What does Psalm 23 promise to us? Rest, peace, refreshing, guidance into the best way of life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What that means is... He guides us into the very best way to live because that's how good he is for his name's sake. It's because part of who he is. Deliverance from fear. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death. It's interesting how many people know that verse and couldn't quote some really good ones. It's like hope. Most people say, quote a verse on hope. They'll go, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Like it's a promise, but no, 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 no. How about um, hoping against hope? That's what Abraham did. Or the God of all hope. You know, uh, there's so many great hope verses. Anyway, what else does the uh, 23rd Psalm promise and proclaim? Well, like I mentioned, deliverance from fear. I shall fear no evil. 
For you are with me, the constant sense of the nearness or the presence of God. And so you find that what I've said in those first four verses, and then you come to verse five, and when you come to verse five, um, the concept there uh, turns from shepherd to host. But here's what we need to see. The Hebrew writers would present a premise or a promise and follow it with a practical application. And so when I read the 23rd Psalm and all these promises, I have concluded over the years that they're fulfilled through an experience of verse 5. Let's read verse 5 again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, the apostles... Old Testament, or the, or the Bible they read before the New Testament was actually penned over 90 years, whatever it was. When they read verse 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. When they got to, my cup runs over, their translation read this way. Your cup is making me drunk like the best wine. Now, that's literally the way the Septuagint, I think Baptists translated our Bibles here. For, no, I'm teasing, but, um, and of course, we're not talking about alcoholism. But being drunk through alcohol is a substitute. It's, it's um, I don't know. It's a, the word I was looking for. Thank you very much. It's a counterfeit for something that's very real that God does. And so when even the Scottish divines, and see, it's embarrassing sometimes when God so touches you with joy that um, you begin to, uh, from a church perspective, misbehave. Um, however, down through the ages, people hungry enough for God and people who had decided, you know, there's got to be more to this Christianity stuff than where I'm living, they would encounter the Holy Spirit in ways that would radically touch not just their emotions, but touch something deeper than just their emotions, but it would be, it would be um, reflected or manifest in their emotions. Even the Scottish divine would say, by type or by word picture, if you find yourself in the cellar, in a dark place, look for the cask of wine. And what he meant was, he was making reference really to like Psalm 23. You may be in a dark place, you may be in a mess, but he has prepared a table before us in the presence of my, my, our enemies. And, and I read commentator after commentator after com- I bet I read 10 or 12 different opinions. Each one of them would mention the table set before us. Our enemies can watch, but there's nothing they can do about what God is doing for us there. Yeah. Oh man, there's such this wonderful verse. We, we are 
we are so stunted in our imagination or in our concept of our understanding what God wants to do and how really, really, really good He is. Here's a great verse. 1 Corinthians uh, 2 verse 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And so this Old Testament quote in the Old Testament writer was basically saying that God had shown him some things that natural mankind would never come up with in their wildest imagination about the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We have... We can really exercise, you know, exercising our imagination negatively is called worry. See, we worry about things that may or may not even happen. We project disaster by living. There's only one place you could ever live in your whole life. Not even Jesus can do better than this. Today is the only day you could ever live, ever, ever. And you could only do it right now, not even this afternoon. So we project, we, we, we allow the enemy to scare us and frighten us about things that don't really even exist. This exists in your imagination. And most of you know, sometimes even the worst thing you imagine, you go through and you, after it's over, you go, well, I wasn't that bad. And some of it really was, but, <laughs> you know, a lot of it's really not. So, how is it that God does for us everything David declared in verses 1 through 4? How is it that David's going to experience all the blessings and benefits we find in Psalm 23, 1 through 4? The answer is found in verse 5. It's the oil and the wine. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Or, another translation, your intoxicating cup, how excellent it is. I have a theory, and I've thought this for a quarter century. A lot of church people's kids go to drugs and alcohol because there's nothing to drink at church. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about alcohol. You know what I'm talking about. There's actually in Zechariah a prophetic picture of when the parents become intoxicated It transforms their children. See, typically, we've started this church for 20 and 30-year-olds, and older people come. And I'm glad. We need you here. They need your wisdom. They need your relationship. But typically, if you start a church for geared towards older people, younger people quit coming. And usually it's because a lot of times... Um, older Christians lose their vitality. They lose that joy. They lose something. I mean, for goodness sake, every once in a while, you just need to get so drunk in the Holy Ghost, you roll around in the floor a little bit. Right in front of your kids. Come on. Your cup needs to run over. Now, I can feel and see on some faces a sense of panic. (laughs) 
And I appreciate that. (laughs) But I'm not out to make anybody do anything they don't want to do. And nobody really has to believe anything I say. But I know what I'm talking about, and I can prove it from many, many portions of the Bible. Hebrews 1.9, which is um, a quote from the Old Testament, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Well, that was talking about Jesus. The primary characteristic of Jesus was not sorrow and it was not severity. It was the oil of gladness. It was joy. How could he proclaim a kingdom whose three basic characteristics are righteousness, peace, and joy and be a sourpuss? How could he do that? He had to be a living demonstration. I'm going to tell you, there's some miracles that only come through joy. I had the joy of the Lord touch me a number of years ago, and there was a guy on our team, and this is a very strange story, but I'm not embellishing it at all. He had torn all the ligaments in his ankle. He couldn't walk up and down stairs. He was in a wheelchair. The doctor told him it was going to be so many weeks, maybe months, before they would mend. There was no operation you could have. And so he was sitting in his desk at Morningstar where I worked, and I had this joy hit me, and I came up behind him and wrapped my uh, arms around him like I would one of my own kids and blew on him. And I said to him, be healed in the name of Jesus. And I was just laughing. I was just, I thought that was the greatest thing to do ever. (laughs) Of course, he had no warning it was coming. So he gets up and in a mocking tone, because he did not believe he would get healed. He, how many of you know who Ernest Angley is? He's a TV preacher and he talks, be healed in the name of Jesus. And I'm not mocking him, I'm simply telling you what that guy said. (laughs) So he stood up and and said in that tone, I'm healed, I'm healed. And then I looked at his eyes, his eyes got big as silver dollars because he was 100% healed. And see, joy is so important because it's sort of the, the factor that releases power and miracle and and breakthrough. This old sad sack stuff doesn't work. Just doesn't work. Come on, you know it doesn't work. Here's what happened. I immediately took him to our school of ministry and said, tell everybody your testimony. He started telling his testimony. People started getting healed. He went hiking. That was Friday. Saturday morning he went hiking and he hiked with his three-year-old son on his back up a mountain, up a mountain. Nathan Scott, that's what I'm talking about. He was completely healed. But you don't understand sometimes the the spiritual realm. When he came back to work and he put his foot down on the tread at the door to walk into the building, this cloud of confusion tried to come over him, and the cloud said, you were never healed. And he thought, yes, that was stupid. What was I thinking that I ever got healed? And then he had a little twinge of pain in his ankle. And he said, yeah. And then he had to shake himself. See, we don't know how crafty the enemy is. 
But joy is important. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Jesus' anointing was an He was anointed with the oil of gladness more than any of his companions. And when you talk about the anointing, um, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And it's not that the Holy Ghost comes and gives you power. It's that the Holy Ghost is that power. The Holy Spirit is what we're talking about. You see, Psalm 16.5 says, For you are my inheritance and the portion, O Lord, you are my inheritance and the portion of my cup. My cup runs over, Psalm 23. What's in the cup? God's in the cup. God's in the cup. What is it to be anointed? It's to express God through, through to have God expressing Himself through you through power and joy and breakthrough. Not something from God. God. Not an it. Him. If you have Christ living within you. John Mark said something last week so profound. He said about joy. Let's say somebody tricked you and got you to believe that suddenly you had the winning lottery ticket. Winning lottery. See, I'm already drinking a little myself. Winning lottery ticket. How would you react? Joyful. Then you find out you don't have it. It was a trick. How do you act? Not joyful. Well, the joy did not come from winning the lottery. It came from you because it's in you whether you know it or not, but the enemy doesn't want you to know what you have in Christ latent and resident in your body, your soul, your spirit, wherever that is. Now you might think that's sort of crazy. Well, Jesus did not think it was crazy. I have Jesus saying it. If any man's thirsty, let him... Come unto me and, where is that? I had it a minute ago. Okay. John chapter 7. On the last great day of the feast, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a Jewish custom to take water out of the well of Siloam and pour it out and proclaim They actually said if you had never seen that ceremony, you had never seen joy ever expressed in your life at the degree it's available. See, that's even Hebrew custom about joy. So on that very day, Jesus says this. He's basically saying, that's just natural water. I have something else. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, he who does what? Do you know, I read this the other day, do you know Moses was running from justice as a murderer when God appeared appeared to him at the burning bush and enlisted him to be the leader of a million people? It takes very little qualification for God to help us. He had not served any time. That guy was dead, 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 and Pharaoh knew it. And for 40 years, he'd been wandering around hoping nobody found out. 
when he runs into God in a bush that burns that would never stop burning. Oh, man, that's really good, Robin. If anyone's thirsty, all you have to do is be thirsty. Let him do what? Come to me and... What's drinking? Spiritual drinking is believing. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, where will the rivers of living water come? From heaven? No. Out of his belly or heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. So those of you that believed in him, you have that resident in your inner person, body, belly, heart, wherever that is and whatever that is. It's there. You just, you just need something. You just, uh, you, you, you just need something marvelous enough to believe in that releases it. Like the good news. Oh, man. Oil. Oil of gladness. Oil speaks of power to do good and to heal. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. What were the um, two main criticisms the Pharisees had against Jesus? He was demonized and he was a drunkard. Now, everybody in the Jewish culture drunk, drank wine, so it wasn't that he drank wine. Why would they call him a drunkard? Why would Peter and those guys be willing to wander all over Israel with him for three years with no pay? There was some benefit. No, he was, I believe the power of God would hit Jesus and those guys, and they would have one more big time. You know, this whole idea where they wandered around and slept in the bushes and they were itinerant, they weren't. Jesus had a house in Capernaum. I mean, it's very clear in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He had his own hired house. He called Capernaum his own city. They had a place to live. They weren't just, ho- ho- you know, Holy Ghost hobos. But why would they call Jesus a drunkard? What in his behavior would give them very intelligent religious men and women grounds for making that claim? It had to do with something Something about his behavior. Novel idea, new idea. I think I have some good verses for it. Matter of fact, Acts chapter 2, do you know where the outpouring of the Spirit came from? Whereby they said these people are drunk. Do you know where it came from? The outpouring of the Spirit that made people look like they were drunk. Do you know where it came from? It came from the throne. Jesus sent it. I has not seen, nor has ear heard, those things God... What is heaven going to be like, ladies and gentlemen? There are going to be some people that are temporarily offended. (laughs) Until that goodness jumps on them, and it blows out of them whatever religious notions they took with them, if you actually can do that, when Jesus came back. Right? This is... I mean, this is... Went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. God has gotten some very bad press, and one of the biggest perpetrators of that bad press is Christianity. 
You know, God touches people. Well, that's emotionalism. Well, in what realm are people not allowed to be emotional? Come on, that's a stupid accusation. That's just emotionalism. Well, thank God for emotionalism. It got me married and it's kept me there 40 years. Well-meaning Christians will go to the Panther game, act like complete jackasses, and then come to church and scowl at somebody who's getting a little bump from God. Come on. That's tweet worthy. You know I'm telling the truth. You can act like an idiot over there at Bank of America Stadium, but you better behave in church. Who came up with that? My cup runs over. (laughs) My inebriating chalice. How excellent it is. (laughs) 23rd Psalm. Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. My cup runs over. How about my inebriating chalice? How excellent it is. Your intoxicating cup. How simply marvelous. Or the Septuagint translation. There's a Latin Vulgate. There are about five or six different Old Testament translations. Your cup is making me drunk like the finest wine. That's what the apostles read when they read the 23rd Psalm. They went through Pentecost. Let me tell you about the apostles. Let me say this. This is going to make you think or mad. Jesus is not enough. What do you mean Jesus is not enough? They had Jesus for three years. They saw him live. They saw him miracles. They did everything. They saw him die. They saw him resurrected from the dead. And even after his resurrection and 40 days of instruction, or what, 10 days of instruction, and his visible ascension, they were still hiding behind closed doors until the Holy Ghost came and their cup became intoxicatingly powerful. Now, is there any wonder the church is so unempowered? Is there any wonder in our nation that we have all of these believers and they act like idiots? They're narrow. They're bigoted. They're not happy. They don't really care for people. And it's because they're drunk, but they're drunk on concepts of the world and not the the empowering influence of the Holy Ghost. You can't have the Holy Ghost and stay mad at people all the time in any kind of a tangible way. I mean, you can, but what I'm saying is if He really is influencing you, if your cup really overflows, what you have overflowing is what gets on other people. And if criticism and hostility and being a Facebook hero gets on them where you denounce everything and criticize everybody, you're drinking from the wrong fountain. Psalm 16.5 O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. What's your cup? What's what's your cup? It's talking not about a chalice at a meal. Your cup is your inheritance. Your cup is your destiny. In a very real way, what Psalm 16.5 is talking about is God is in charge of your inheritance and your inheritance and your destiny is your cup. What's in your cup? 
God's in your cup. Psalm 116.13. Here's a great verse. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the Lord. If any man's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. No one can make you receive what I'm talking about. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's Listen. I have a friend that has this vineyard. His family has a vineyard in Tuscany, Italy. And his wife, he and his wife went down there one time. And they were pouring the new wine, the vintage, the fresh vintage. And the air was so intoxicating, his wife got wobbly breathing. Breathing. And he began to tell me about the process for making wine. And one of the things you have to do with wine to make it pure and potent and good is separate the vintage from the must. Or the musto in Italian, the musto. What is the musto? It, it's, it's the stems and the leaves and the twigs separated from the must. Well, in the spiritual realm, you get the most, imp- the most potent touch from God when you're not under an obligation to have it. When a preacher's not trying to make you do something against your will. But it's when you see the goodness of the Lord and you invite Him honestly into your life at this whole new level. I have seen over and over and over, particularly 20 years ago, when I'd go to schools and teach people, uh, young, uh, there's three or four different schools in town, I would be telling these, first thing I'd do, I'd tell the students, you don't have to believe anything I'm saying. You're under no obligation to do anything. You're completely free. I took the must away. Because you have to take the have to or you better away to get the purity and power of what God has for you. It's freely given. It's freely received. You don't earn it. You're not good enough. I mean, the power of God would meet a man running away from having committed murder and put him in charge of his entire nation and empower him to the degree that he'd go to Pharaoh and negotiate the release of Pharaoh's entire workforce. What was his qualification? He stumbled into God. And God respected him. Richard Rohr said how God respected uh, Moses. That killed me. God respects us. He doesn't just love you. He respects you. He wants you to have his very best. Let let me see. I have a couple of verses. Let Let me... Put the next verse up. Let me see what this is, if I can remember it. Okay. How many of you have been to a funeral and they said, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in times of trouble? Right? And people there going, that's funny. I don't feel like I'm getting any help at all. I'm pretty hurt here. My so-and-so died, right? But they read this. They just don't read enough of it. They, don't, they, they go through the premise, but they don't go to the application. What are you talking about, Robin? Well, here it is. God is what? Our refuge and strength. How present is He to help us in trouble? Very. There's present. There's very present. Therefore, we will what? Even though the earth, though the mountains, though its waters, though the mountains. Why? Because there's a river. 
There's a river whose streams do what? Make glad the city of God, the holy place. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her when? At the break of dawn. Or when light comes. Or when you see what God is offering. God is a very present help in times of trouble because there's a river. There's an opportunity. A a well to drink from. New wine to drink. Something from heaven to receive that you have only to want to drink to to be qualified to have it. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come into the waters, and you that what? Have no money. Come buy and eat. Come drink new wine and oil. What's the payment? Nothing. The payment is thirst. The payment is hunger. The payment is need. I like that. There's a river. That's how God's a very present help. Then there's Psalm 36. Is that up there? How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men do what? Put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are what? Here we go again. Septuagint. They are made drunk. You know, half the church may not come back next week. I'm getting a little concerned here, but I'll live through it. They are... When's the last time you came away from church abundantly satisfied? Made drunk. With what? The fullness of your house. How does that happen? You give them drink from what river? The river of the pleasure of God, for with you is the fountain of life. Now, let me explain something. I grew up in a, a very good Presbyterian church, and I didn't believe one word of what I'm telling you. But I have been through some very difficult days. Not the worst, but bad enough. I don't want to compare notes with anybody. I can remember having a call on my life. Have you ever had a call on your life you couldn't fulfill and you didn't know what to do, but you couldn't shake it? I was that way for a number of years. Out of college, the Lord told me he didn't want me to go to seminary, so I went into the business world. The whole time, called to be in ministry and stayed frustrated. And I would try this and I would try that and I just couldn't make any of it work because I didn't go the normal route. There weren't any routes. Finally, at one point I just broke down and cried. Have you ever cried so hard nothing's coming out? The only sound in the room is when you inhale. I cried so hard. Because I was so broken and so frustrated and in such despair that when I inhaled, I could hear an evil force laugh at me through my own inhale. Now, you might think that's weird. Well, you know, you're not going to go very far in Christianity and power if you don't know there's some weird stuff. Just all there is to it. Really, there is. 
And then Rodney Howard Brown came around and the power of God got released and people started laughing and laughing and laughing uncontrollably for no apparent reason. And I was, by that time, my, my wife and I had made a break with my job and we went into a ministry I didn't have with no money. And I didn't like church. Now that, that's, that's rough. When you don't like church and you've left your job to be in church world and you don't like church. That's rough. And I was battling a low-level depression. I'm telling the truth. And I ran into uh, a friend of mine who had a Rodney Howard Brown tape where people were laughing and rolling all over the floor. And I wanted to join in. But every time I wanted to join in, I would have a mental image in my mind of some preachers I knew who would not be happy that I'd done that because they didn't believe in it. And I finally just had to tell all those boys to go away. Of course, they weren't really there. And so Tom Hardeman and I elected to become intoxicated with the Holy Ghost. And we rolled around on the floor of his living room watching this tape for about two hours. And then I went down there. I became a full participant. Because it began to break off of me, this inclination towards negativity, this inclination towards depression. And then I began to see the power of God touch other people and release them from bondages and demonic things that they had going on in their lives. For instance, one, one friend of mine lost their oldest child in a, in a terrible automobile accident. And she had, over time, a recurring thought pattern she couldn't break or stop thinking, which was seeing her child being burned alive in the car. And so I was preaching much like I was preaching here today. And she asked for prayer, and so we began to pray for her. And in her case, instead of laughing, she began to weep and to weep and to weep, enough to scare me. And I felt like the devil said, well, you've done it now. You pushed her over the edge. She's going to lose her mind. And I said, she had 40 years to lose her mind. I've only been preaching like half hour. So <laughs> she's losing her mind. It's not on me. And I'm not going to stop praying. Well, by the time she had quit praying and weeping, that thought pattern was broken and never came back because she got touched by the power of God in a way that makes a lot of people nervous. I have a feeling God makes people nervous. I just got that feeling. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. We've got 12 after 8. One thing I want to do I'm not going to try to hit a home run today and get everybody all juiced up. I want to make you hungry. I want to make you thirsty. I want you to consider some of the things I said, but I'm also going to pray for you. So everybody stand up if you want to. How many of you want me to pray? Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Let's put your hand on your own stomach. I have a few things to say before I pray. The Holy Spirit's not an it or force. 
he is a person and he is here. And he does things he does that don't have anything to do with me. And he loves you and wants to help you. So why don't we ask him to come touch us for a moment? I'm going to ask, but it would be even better for you if you yourself asked out loud and just said something like, Holy Spirit, come, just come touch me. Lord, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're so good. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man those things that you have prepared for those that love you. Lord, we love you. We don't love you perfectly, but this is love that you loved us, gave yourself for us. Holy Spirit, come. Touch your people. Release your goodness, Lord. Mm. Out of your belly shall flow. Thank you, Lord. Mm. 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 One of the things that I believe the Lord has just shown me is there's a fresh wind blowing for your minds, for a renewal of your minds. I believe he wants to restore your minds. How many of you need that? The rest are, let's pray that, Father, restore our minds. I can feel like an anointing in a wind right now. I can feel something on my mind. Lord, restore our thoughts towards you, towards ourselves, and towards others. Fetch back our vitality, Lord. Lord, just release miracles among us. A brand new season of miracles and power. Oh, man, I felt that. A brand new season of miracles and power, Lord. Joy in relationships, too, Lord. Connections, connections, connections. Now, I'm beginning to see the whole... I'm, uh, this young lady right here, you have your eyes closed there's a fresh touch on your life right now. You have like a fresh new anointing touching you right now. Am I right? Can you feel that? Yeah, I can see it. So, Lord, we agree with you. We agree with what you want to do now and onward. Al, there's some things that have caused you, I don't know if the right word's conflict, but a certain amount of anxiety that's going to be broken from this day on. In Jesus' name. I believe that. I believe that's what the Lord showed me. I proclaim it. Now, 
And we break, I just feel this, we break cancer today in Jesus' name. We break paralysis in Jesus' name. We break fear and intimidation and threat in Jesus' name. Lord, release boldness, an inordinate boldness that's still rational and normal into the lives of people who have been backed up with fear. Now, in Jesus' name. How many of you feel the Lord touching you? You can feel his presence on you. Just wait, raise your hand. Just acknowledge him and ask him for more. You know, if you have to go get your kids, that's okay. But uh, let's just ask. Just say more, Lord, please. More, Lord. Increase. Increase for power, for joy, for breakthrough. Come, come, come. Now this cup, I don't know if you're a couple couple, I know you're a couple of people right here. But there's like a final chapter the Lord is nailing down. Some aspect of either your lives together or one of your two, I'm not sure, I'm not assuming you're married. But there's like this final chapter thing and the Lord says he's putting his stamp on it. He's going to bring that thing to a full completion. Does that make any sense? Yeah, way in, the, way in the back. I pray again, we break the power of cancer. We break the power of paralysis. We break the power of fear and confusion. In Jesus' name. And we release faith and we release boldness and we release confidence. We release creativity now. 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 I feel like some of you has, have asked for a clarity in the midst of confusion. A we by, uh, I proclaim the blowing away of the confusion and I release by faith from the Lord clarity of vision, simplicity of purpose, and a workable process that you will begin to see fall into place and identify with right now. In Jesus' name, we release that. And there's someone in here, and you have been, uh, the word would be a salacious slander. Someone has um, repeated horrible things about you that are not true. In the name of Jesus, I cut off, I cut off by faith that tongue, that, that word, that source. In Jesus' name, it's not the Lord for you to bear up under that. I know the Lord's touching some of you in your emotions and you're sort of embarrassed or shy. Just don't worry about it. Just let him touch you. Just let him do what he wants to do. And I'm not saying you have to do anything. I'm just saying if God's doing something, let him do it. Just, just be free. Just let him help you. 
You know, he heals the brokenhearted. We just release healing for brokenhearted people, Lord, in this place. We, we do have people that will be glad to pray for you today. If you would like prayer, if you'll come over here to this side of the room. We have some people that have been trained, and um, we'll be glad to do that.